You know, when designers talk in the public, sometimes you share things and you say, hey, you should do this way or you should do it this way. You should build design systems. You should build the design tokens. And sometimes designers forget or don't think about mentioning which perspective are they coming from. Hey, this is Kirill Nagornuk, and you're listening to the UX Objective Podcast, the show for SaaS founders, designers, and product people. So today our guest is Edgaris Benediktavichus, indie maker of digital services, co-founder of Content Writing Jobs, designer and developer. And today's topic is designers.code. Hey, Edgaris, and welcome to the UX Objective Podcast. Hello, nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm thrilled to discuss this topic because I'm designer myself by trade and there have been lots of conversations about uh, whether designers should learn to code, whether they should code, whether do they should know foundations of how code works, you know, how the designs are being implemented on the code side. But I think uh, before we dive into this topic, um, let's um, define the point of view first because um, from most of the conversations I hear, um, whether designers should code or not to code, you know, there are really strong arguments for both sides, really. And, um, however, I see that majority of such discussions, they suffer from the absence of perspective. And there are at least two perspectives to this is a corporate design role and indie maker perspective. Can you please uh, comment on this? Yeah, I think uh, you are taking a good angle on this one. Um, and probably there are even more perspectives, I guess, but those are two str strong ones, uh, I guess. And um, from, from, from the way I see it, um, you know, I, I have never worked on really big company, uh, but I worked in the smaller ones, smaller agencies and medium company. And the way I see it, uh, if you work in a company, obviously you specialize, right? You need to take your designer role. You need to specialize in something, either it's UI design or UX design. And obviously, like, you cannot do too much. You know, you cannot be too, too much of a generalist. You have to, you, you're hired for a certain, certain role and you have a title, right? And, um, and when you are indie, indie hacker or maker or you're building your own service or product and you, you're responsible for many more things. And uh, the way I see it, uh, as a designer, you, you also take some other roles as developer maybe, and sometimes even marketeer. And, uh, you know, so, so definitely as, as indie hacker, you take many more hats or seats, you know, in a table. <laughs> yeah. But it also depends on the, if you're alone and if you're in the team and what, what are your roles, I guess. And there's another, I mean, I'm also actually biggest part of my time I spent as a freelance designer also. So my indie hacking time, actually, I would say maybe 15 or 20% of my uh, time because I still have to uh, make a cash flow, right? So I, I work with clients and, uh, you know, having this developer perspective or knowing how to code, it really helps. Yeah, and sometimes it just prevents you from just doing your job, what you do the best, like you just have, you are hired to do UI design and that's it. Don't dig too deep. You know, sometimes I, I catch myself digging too deep into, or trying to help clients to figure out what I maybe shouldn't 
you know, it's not my role in that position to to even give those advices to them or get in those conversations. Yeah. So it has a black backside of it. What is your role in the current project you're working on, the content writing jobs? We are two founders on the project and uh, we share our roles quite well because uh, my friend, uh, co-founder, Thomas, uh, he's he has many years of experience in content writing and marketing and SEO and uh, that side, uh, like marketing side of things and content side of things. And I'm helping out with the all design and product and technology side of things. So in this project, it's, it works out for us quite well. We, and, and at the same time, we overlap in design because Thomas is also a great designer. Uh, he, he was studying design and he was doing design for some time. So it's good to have this overlap also, uh, a common ground. So when um, you speak that you cover uh, the design and technology part of the project, on the technology side, what exactly your role, how you approach the technological tasks? Do you code yourself? You use frameworks or you use no-code, like low-code solutions? Yeah, it's, it, it's actually one of the reasons we started this project. Uh, I mean, there were many reasons, but this was one of the reasons, the race of no-code and low-code, you could say, because this enables us uh, designers you know primarily designers or marketeers or you know not developers to to start projects to start some serious projects uh, uh, so so using uh, webflow and using integromat and we tried zapier as well and some other tools like MailerLite for emails and a few other tools like it it really enables you to build things. So, so our idea was to build a job board and we were able to build not only that, but also to automate all, all email sequences and automate Slack messages. And yeah, so with no-code tools, we were able to, to build all uh, the processes behind our service as well, not only the front-facing uh, interface for, for the, our customers and users. Can you say that with the current tools that are available, the entrance threshold for non-coding people to actually do code or like do the technical side is much lower than it was before when the only solution was just like actually know the language, the coding language and, you know, type the scripts and everything. These no-code tools we're developing for a while now, but it reached the point where they are really capable. And they are really, uh, there are a lot of them actually, and you can connect different ones. There were, there were different tools like WordPress and uh, different site builders before, uh, even 10 years ago. But only a few years ago, it happened that the whole ecosystem reached the point where there are a lot of tools and you can combine them. Tools like Zapier or Integromat enable you to connect those different tools. So if you have data in one tool, you can also synchronize automatically to other tools. So, so it, yes, it, it reached the point where it enabled people uh, who don't have coding knowledge to, to build things, but it also reached the point where there is so many of those tools where you can really choose what you need and you really find the tool you need for the, for a project. Can you tell me about the journey into coding, your personal journey where you started, you know, maybe you had hard times and sure. Um, 
Actually, I could go back uh, to my study times, uh, 2010, 12 years ago, uh, when I came to Denmark to, to study. Um, and uh, my studies were called uh, multimedia design and communication. And, uh, you know, some, some designers start uh, in the graphic design field, and I started with this multimedia design, which is a mix of, of, of things. It's a mix of programming, mix of design, mix of business and communications. So from the beginning, I was introduced to this multidisciplinary thinking instead of focusing only on design. And maybe that's what led me to um, appreciate this uh, generalist maybe role or like, you know, seeking broader perspective. And even after two years when I finished my studies, uh, this was like introductionary studies and then you have a top-up degree for finishing your bachelor. So even after those two years, uh, I got my first job. Uh, I was in my first job interview and they were, uh, I, I applied as an unsolicited uh, application. And I didn't know what I will do exactly. And they, they asked me, so what do you want to do? And I said, I can do both. I can do design. I can do some uh, front-end development. And then, then they said, you have to choose one because like you're in a company now, you have to choose a role. So I showed my portfolio and I, I guess we both decided that I'll go with design. I guess that was a bit stronger side. But from, from those times, uh, I, always were, I was always connected to both design and development. And I, I tried to keep up with the trends of web development as well, and as well as design trends. So yeah, that's... That's where I'm coming from. Do you think it's a good way to learn to code for people who don't know how to code is actually to have a project that you want to implement and then learn or gain knowledge towards achieving this goal instead of just like, okay, I want to learn and just start somewhere without clear understanding what you want to accomplish? Yeah, the, actually this, I think I, I tweeted at some point or I had this idea somewhere at some point that, I don't know, I catch myself learning. I, I love learning in general. I, I learn development, design, whatever, marketing, business, all of these things. And I catch myself forgetting, forgetting a lot of things I learn. You read books, you, you watch some videos, you, you, you do some courses, but then if you don't apply it right away, you, you kind of forget these things. So, I don't know. I, I got really critical about this, and I said, "Okay, I'm 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 stopping to learn anything that I don't apply right away." So my perspective changed a little bit, and I say, "Okay, first I have an idea, I have a project, and then I can find what I need to learn because there are so many things you always need to learn. So why not to learn something that you need right now at this moment?" I guess there are exceptions to this rule and, and there are different, I'm not saying this is one way to do things, right? But this is how recently it's been better for me, at least, to think about this. How about you? What, what, what do you think? When you was talking about this and reflecting on your experience, I remembered my experience is that when I was trying to learn some skill and it didn't have application, I either was losing interest very quick, you know, or just like seeing it, why I'm doing it, you know, I don't have motivation. It's like learning languages that you will never speak. You know, in yeah. school, I took Spanish classes 
and it ended up, you know, in like on the fifth class because I didn't see myself like, you know, speaking Spanish or something like that. I tried to learn uh, Sanskrit. This is like mm. the ancient language of India, you know. Yeah. And I still see an application of it, but it doesn't motivate me so much to put all the endeavor I need to to put in to actually learn it, you know. So that's that's where it where it ends. But if, but if there is a demand either from like you can create this demand for for yourself, like okay, this is my project. I need to build my knowledge or skill based towards uh, making this project successful. Then you can do it. Or if we talk about like employee perspective, then you know if there is a demand for certain knowledge or certain skill at the place where you work, you also feel motivated because you can want to contribute to the company, you know, you want to make it successful. So you actually yeah. like moving, moving in this direction, this comes down to the question, you know, why you want to do it, you know, the bottom line is like, why you want to learn to code, you know, <laughs> basically anything in your life. There's, there's one catch to it, I think. Uh, some people I, I see, see uh, saying, uh, then how do you discover like broader things that you need to learn? Like if you're always just learning what you need right there in this moment, maybe it's like a small things that you learn and maybe how, how do you discover like completely different perspective? Uh, you know, sometimes you need broader perspective and maybe you, you need to change your way of thinking completely. But, but that's fine. I think you still can have certain amount of time in a day or in a week that you explore things and you have sources of exploration. And then you, I think it works nicely where you just like save these things or remember where you saw it. And then when you need it, you can always come back. You know, it, now internet is so interconnected. It's so easy to search for something. It's like, oh, I saw this on, on Twitter or or I liked something, you just go back in the history, find it again. And and when you need it at that moment, I did it many times. Uh, so I, I think it's a combination of both exploration and and then learning w exactly when you need that thing. Can you please tell me about your first um, experience where you actually shipped the code? Um, yeah, so there was some transition while, while working on this project, uh, side project, we still call it content writing jobs. We realized we're hitting some limitations with no code. So I'm not saying no code is is bad or anything. It's it has its place to start and it has its place. But sometimes uh, you hit some limitations and and then you need to reconsider. Do you want to continue with no code? Do you want to switch to another tool? Do you want to try something low code? You know that is in between, or you want to invest some some time learning to code. And actually that was a shifting point for me where I decided to learn some coding again, rebrush my knowledge. Uh, so I went and learned again some JavaScript and React and I picked up some framework called Next.js and we decided to, to actually build our front end, uh, rebuild it from Webflow, which is no code tool, to Next.js, which is definitely has a little bit more coding required to build things. Um, so yeah, that's, 
it's it's been a journey for me also to learn at the same time and and build that. so so that's what i've been doing learning and and then building at the same time did you have a mentor who helped you or just like i you tested yourself i think it works and just shipped it to the world i would be freaked yeah, out I, i i said like <laughs> yeah it 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 is uh, it freaked me out many times and i'm thinking like I'm can still i get to that freaked point out by that twi- I... about tweeting something you know <laughs> not to say about shipping the code yeah <laughs> Yeah, it, it is actually my big inspiration, and for many people, for many indie hackers, I think is uh, Peter Levels. I really give big shout out to Peter Levels, and you know, a lot of people criticize him for shipping code that is not perfect, that is not super secure, or that is not super, you know. But you don't need that in the beginning. You can always, when your your project grows, you'll make different decisions and you upgrade that code rewrite the code or maybe hire somebody if you cannot build something yourself anymore but it's fine that should not stop you from starting out and trying out and not being afraid to to experiment you know so for for me it's been freaky at the same time and scary but at the same time i had a lot of fun learning react and trying out nextjs framework and connecting with superbase you can see the logo here <laughs> i have a t-shirt uh, so trying to see where where are the advantages of code you know not everything can be accomplished with no code tools they're getting better and better um but in some places if you have knowledge why not to to have some code as well like tailwind css has been a big help as well building the front end of the our website and sometimes it's even faster than using some no code tool at least for me you know it's not for for everyone but for me if i know some css and i use some tailwind css i can really build good looking uh, interfaces quick So yeah, it's a combination, and I think code has its place, and no code has its also place. Mm. Yeah. So since you're wearing the both hats as a designer and as a developer, engineer, how do you choose in which area to invest more time? Is it falls down to the same kind of strategy? What is required? Then you actually learn it. How you, like if. Um, Let's say if you have a good enough experience in design, you know, like enough to make a decent design and then like code is something new, you would naturally invest more time in it. So, but also design industry is moving forward. You know, you, you get new tools, you get new strategies, you get new, you know, uh, ways of doing things, you get new standards and everything. How to not kind of leave it behind? Yeah, it's it's tricky. Uh, I, f- I exactly feel how you you mentioned that you try to learn. You feel uh, you de- you learned something, and you feel okay now in design. Maybe I'm a bit stronger than than coding. Then you invest more time into coding and le- learning development or no code tools. But then you notice that you may be falling behind a little bit with the latest design trends, or even you know rebrushing your knowledge from time to time because you all forget some things if you don't work with user research for a while or with the color theory or s- some of those things. So definitely need to go back and revisit some of the, the information. So it's, it's tricky balance, but it's like somehow it happens organically that you try to navigate. I definitely go back and relearn some of the 
uh, design things as well. Uh, recently, I, I actually had to run a design sprint workshop. So I've been spending a, a week or almost two weeks uh, reading everything again about how to how design sprint works and how to run this workshop, even though I did this in the past, but I had to relearn. So it was for me focused time for a week or two weeks and relearning some of the things. And then I had to pause my uh, programming, learning programming and working on my project. It's just life, life happens, right? Does it mean that uh, you now also have other designers working on the project? Uh, no, we don't have. Actually, it's still very much... So it was like a solo solo design sprint? Uh, yeah. The, the, the one that I organized, the workshop, was for my client. Uh, okay. So some of my clients, right? This is not related to, to the side project. This was, as I mentioned, like I'm, most of my time I'm still spending as a freelance designer. Um, and some of the time we spend on, on a side project whenever there is time. So, so that was for my client project. So you, do you do any code for your clients or it's just you wear an engineer hat only when working on your side projects? Yeah, exactly. So definitely I would not dare to code at this point for my clients because I think I would be too slow. And I think, I think that's the main reason, uh, I think. And yeah, definitely maybe the code quality would not be that good although like if i spend enough of time you know i research the techniques and ways and and i i find the ways to do the things i want to do but i think mostly i'm really slow in coding super slow so uh, it would not be worth for me to offer this as a service for my client so that's why i focus more on doing design and sometimes web flow uh, no code uh, uh, projects as well but how does it help you to know about code and actually work with the engineering teams as a designer? Uh, if I work uh, for clients, right? Yeah, client work. Yeah, client work. Uh, also, when I worked in-house, I mean, having this knowledge of both design and development helped to connect with engineers to overlap in some areas. And I think it's hard to point out one thing, but just generally, it creates an overlap between you and, and engineers. And again, as I mentioned, it could be a, a curse, a blessing and a curse at the same time, because sometimes you overthink where you should not think too much about that. Somebody will take <laughs> care of it. Yeah. So it's tricky. It's tricky balance. But I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's been helpful to think in advance. Like, for example, you think about how the name how do you name colors, you know, in your project? And do you agree with development? Like, because this will save you time and save, save you consistency if you have the colors named correctly. And if you have all the typography scales, um, but also thinking about how it will be built in a components, like let's say in React components, uh, you know that as a developer, you know that the components has properties. So you start thinking about Okay, if this model, how many different states it has, you know, you start thinking a little bit like a developer about different states and different functionality, not only about how it looks, but how it will function, you know, and what if there is slow internet connection, for example, you know, you start thinking about those more technical things as a designer and 
I think it helps to make better decisions. Do your clients appreciate this? Do they see the difference? Like, okay, we, we've been working with the guy who does excellent design and doesn't know anything about code. And we have Edgars who really good designer and he also knows about code. Do they see this difference or they just take it for granted? It's like, that's how it should be, you know? And yeah, that's a very good question. I, and I don't know a complete answer, you know, because it's, um, but, but it happens. So I think eventually they appreciate, eventually they see that, you know, I, I'm helping them to build a service. I'm not helping them to do design. But again, I would say not all the clients. I had some even interviews uh, where they asked me, okay, so what is your title? <laughs> and I don't know, I, I was maybe a little bit cheeky and said, like, I'm just maker. I just build things uh, online, you know. And I think it's a bit dangerous for a designer to present themselves this way. Uh, so this client didn't appreciate, I guess, that I was a bit of a generalist and I would help them to think broader in terms of building a service or designing a service. And some then other clients appreciate that a lot and come back to me and says, yeah, we want to work with you because you think broadly and uh, you bring this broader perspective on the table, even though you might not specialize in UI design completely. You know, there's a lot of great UI designers. They specialize and they really nail the animations, nail the really good quality uh, and aesthetics, you know. So I'm, I'm not that person, you know, that will do like crazy After Effects animations and all those sexy dribble stuff, right? But I bring other perspective and I think some clients appreciate that. I think I want to touch uh, on another area which you mentioned, like when you know how things are implemented, you start thinking about the code side, for example, like how to name the colors. So this brings us to the design tokens discussion. What do you think is the current state of the design tokens? in the industry now, because I see that there is a certainly a big movement towards standardization between design and code, but we still not there yet. What is your feeling about this? Um, well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm the right person to, to answer, uh, broadly speaking about, uh, where the industry is moving, but I can say what I think and, you know, my experience is working mo mostly in smaller startups and medium companies. I never really worked, as I mentioned, in big corporations, big companies. So, and I think, at least me, I'm making this mistake and maybe other designers are making this mistake, uh, trying to implement these design tokens or broadly speaking, design systems too early in the project. Um, because we are excited, you know, about those things, making everything as a component and making everything organized and making everything uh, as tokens. But maybe in some projects or is not needed or is not needed so early, you know. And I think I caught myself a few times building these tokens where it was not needed for the project, you know. And it ended up maybe not developing so, so far where, where, where these are needed. So, but... But I guess it's definitely important for, for bigger companies, for bigger projects, where, 
where it reaches the point where there's a lot of people working uh, with the same design <clears throat> and it, uh, the product is very big and has many different features and it, everything has to be consistent. Huge projects like GitHub, for example, or, right, or even Twitter or any big social media, those definitely need needs those things. But yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm the right person to answer actually about about the uh, yeah the general where the industry is moving in this in this case. Mm. But from like your indie hacker or indie maker perspective, is uh, where implementing these things such as design systems and tokenizing things um, is the problem, like when it becomes just uh, like a stumble block towards the progress. Uh, you mean uh, when, it's, when it stops the progress? Yeah. Yeah, it's like over, overkill. You don't need to do it, but... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a curse as a designer. You know, you learn these things. And I think in general, maybe we should talk about, you know, when designers talk in the public, uh, sometimes you share things and you say, hey, you should do this way or you should do it this way. You should build design systems, you should build the design tokens. And sometimes designers forget or don't think about mentioning which perspective are they coming from. Maybe they work in a huge corporation, maybe they work in a startup, maybe they're indie hacker. That's completely different perspective, right? Completely different needs of how you should structure your design and uh, some, some indie hackers don't design at all, they just directly go and start coding and they can do that in their head, you know, like again, Peter Levels, he just, I don't think he even opens Figma, maybe he does, I don't know, but he, he just goes and do things and iteratively work on it. But there's completely different picture if you're in a small team or medium team or big corporation, different tools are needed. So, so I, think, I think designers could benefit when they suggest something in the public, they give opinion, write a blog post or talk about some method or technique, they could mention where they are coming from. Are, are they working in a big corporation? Are they working in a startup? Or what kind of project it is? Why, why it's required? You know, why it's required to have tokens? Why it's required to have design systems? Mm -hmm. So if projects uh, or designers starts to implement design systems or tokens prematurely, like we, we coming now from indie maker perspective. Um, this can, can we say that this becomes a problem because it takes so much time to establish these things and to make them like work properly. And it kind of distracts you from getting closer to the point of like validation of the like business idea because you could like validate it much earlier without design system in place. And then if it's wrong, like, just don't do it, you know, because like, the, the whole, like, the, um, the higher level is wrong. You know, design system is just a way of implementing, you know, like, something that will support this, if it's the right idea. But this is wrong, like, why you build it in the first place. Yeah, it's a mismatch of values, like prioritizing different values. What adds value to your project? Design system adds a value of making everything unified, organized, and, and scalable. brings unit scalable also, right? And yeah, it's some features, it's 
faster to build if you have some components already, but but some other features will require a new component as well. And you know, so I don't know. I uh, think as a designer, I still go and design everything in Figma, for example, first before developing it. That's how I do it. You know, sometimes I sketch first, then I go to Figma, and I still though I still have token some tokens. You know, I have color tokens. I have. Uh, typography tokens, those two I think are the fundamental for every project at least. And and then have components where it's needed. It, sometimes it just helps, you know, just by yourself in Figma to organize things and to move faster. If something repeats a lot of times, for example, you, you should have a component, right? Um, just it saves time for yourself. But then there is a limit how far you go because you can go really far <laughs> with this and there is no end to how much you can optimize and make everything synchronized with the code and and it, it's really not needed I think for indie hacker uh, and yeah so I think everyone should find the balance be aware of it and see if they get value from building these systems if it really saves time or if it really brings inconsistency or some other values in the project or it's just takes too much time and to maintain it. Okay. So, Edgar, uh, thank you so much for sharing your perspective in the hacker's perspective specifically. It was very helpful for me to hear you speaking on this topic and I hope all the audience will also appreciate your um, thoughts on this. And my last question to you is where can people find you online? Yeah, so first of all, thank you for having me here. Uh, was nice. It's my first ever podcast, so thank you so much. It's been fun. And uh, where can people find me? I think uh, I'm mostly active on Twitter. It's at edgarasben. E D G A R A S B E N. And your side project uh, address? Yeah. So we are in the process of moving. Uh, currently, it's contentwritingjobs.com and we are moving to bestwriting.com. Okay, thank you. See you later. Thank you so much. See you.